Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by the employee-owned company Golden Artist Colors. Whether it's their vast array of acrylic paints, their Williamsburg oil colors, or their core watercolors, or their plethora of mediums, Golden is committed to making the best materials for artists to make their work with. You can find them in art stores or online at goldenpaints.com. Julie Curtis is an artist born in 1982 in Paris and who lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. She holds an MFA and a BA from École Nationale Supérieure de Beaux-Arts in Paris, France, and her work has been shown at White Cube in London and various small fires in Los Angeles, amongst others. Julie is a current fellow of the Sharp Walenta Studio Program in New York, and her work has been covered in It's Nice That, Book Forum, W Magazine, Bloomberg, Cultured, and more. She's represented by Anton Kern Gallery, where she'll open a solo show entitled Wildlife from April 25th to June 15th. Julie stopped by my studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, not far from hers, on the heels of her upcoming solo show at Anton Kern. Here's our conversation. zone and to just like develop stuff you know yeah it's uh, I think maybe there's a time for everything um yeah now that's the way it is but I still go out and see shows and go to my friends shows and yeah yeah, and meet new people but yeah were you uh were you social as a kid Mm, I was more the introverted kind were you an only child yes only child I don't for some reason I just was you see a feeling that you might (laughs) It's not a bad thing. What does that mean? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like you can... Well, I mean, I have one kid. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think you can just kind of... Get the vibe. You could, you could yeah. get the vibe. Mm-hmm. And you weren't a no, I had a only brother. child. I still uh, still do have a brother. Yeah. <laughs> I was a younger brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a different sensibility, mm-hmm. I think. The second has it better, right? That's what it's saying. I think so. Mm-hmm. Because my theory is that... The parents are always so neurotic on the first one, like, yeah. you know, scared of everything. And mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the mm-hmm. older child is usually a little more uptight, I think. Yeah. And the younger ones, they're just like, whatever, they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. More laid back. Yeah. But so, mm-hmm. but I do think that um, only children are self-sufficient, like they can do their own thing. Um, only children? Like, if you're an only child, you're okay with just being by yourself. Or, like, you can yes. entertain yourself because you had to, usually. You have to, yeah. Unless you had a giant family around, like, lots of cousins and friends over all yeah. the time. Or, yeah, But still, at the end of the day, it's usually you're by yourself. Absolutely. And it's a, yeah, you have the gift of time. And it's a little bit lonely, too. I remember, <laughs> I remember something a little pathetic. It's really weird. It's almost like a memory slash... Was, did that really happen or more like a dream but I think for a while I had cut out a, like in cardboard a little me <laughs> but a big me I mean it was like the lifestyle. same size lifestyle yeah. and I had like dressed her up like me <laughs> and I put some hair and stuff and she was like you know sitting on a chair in the corner of my bedroom or something like that mm-hmm. 
I think, yeah, I kind of must have destroyed her after, you know, a while. But I remember for a while. I think she's she stuck around for a while. Yeah. It's a little sad, right? <laughs> Maybe, but I mean, that's, in a way, mm-hmm. that's imagination mm-hmm, exactly. at work, mm-hmm. you know? I so, think uh, it was a little creepy, so I think after a while, I just... <laughs> I must have gotten rid of her, I don't know. That's even more creepy. That's creepy. <laughs> you just threw her out. <laughs> what did I do with her? That's really creepy. She's yeah. probably somewhere yeah. in storage. In storage, <laughs> deep inside. Yeah. So, but did you start drawing early as a yeah, kid? Yeah, yeah. So I drew a lot. Um, where did, where, so you, you grew up in France, but where at? Um, I grew up in Paris suburbs. Uh-huh. So basically it's like the Brooklyn of Paris. Yeah. Um, what did your parents do? And my parents, my, so my mother was a, um, it's like a librarian, mm-hmm. um, specialized librarian in because she worked for um, a social worker school so she was really uh, specializing in social studies and stuff like that and my dad was um, so my dad was more he was a technical photographer which means basically you know before they had photocopy machines and scanner yeah they had to take everything in photo right so that's a, a dead uh, line of work yeah. basically it doesn't exist anymore and soon enough, he was a bit out of a job, but he just stuck around, worked part-time, was never really a courier guy. And uh, But yeah, he's, a, he's actually a, a very good photographer. He's just a bit lazy, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though. Did he teach himself photography, or did he go to school for it? Uh, I don't even know. I think uh, when he was hired for that job, which he kept like for 20 years, like an insane amount of time... <clears throat> He, uh, that's where he he learned the job, but I don't think he knew any of that before. My my dad is really he has a very um, um, unusual uh, life, and so yeah, he's, he, I think he learned it on the job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so drawing was encouraged. Well, I mean, all kids draw, right? It's kind of like yeah. a thing. But were you into it a little more than others? Yes, I, I think I was really into it. Um, and my parents were always so encouraging of anything creative. Mm-hmm. And very early on, they brought me to the museums and they got me art books. Um, so they were really stimulating in that way. Uh, but yeah, so I, I was spending my days just drawing and trying to keep myself busy and doing like collage, like doing all kind of things. And what was, I think, good about my mother in particular that she never, you know, some parents, they're very, I see my, my um, cousin and with her kids and even it was my aunt's teaching really, like they would like paint flowers or there was something very directed about the way they do crafts and like activities. But my parents just let me do whatever I wanted to do, even if it was completely weird or wacko. But I remember once I was in vacation with my aunt and my cousin and we were doing sewing mm-hmm. and she had done this really cute little puppy, very well made. Mm-hmm. And then I had come up with my own doll and it was like really freaky, you know, like <laughs> voodoo, like really. Yeah. And then I, I realized like how off and like my aunt was like, oh, it's so pretty. But I saw on her face, it was like, oh my God, oh what boy. did you just do? <laughs> and I realized, oh, my mother would have been totally different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she was, a, she would have praised something really different so she they really encouraged me to just um 
uh, make art, but as a way of expressing something or creating something. Yeah. Did you have any, when you went to the museums, were there any memories or specific works mm. or things that kind of like burned into your memory? Oh yeah, totally. Um, I mean, you had some pretty good places to go. Exactly. <laughs> that, that I was, I realized I was pretty lucky. Um, we, we went, so my m- strongest memories are Orsay Museum because it was my dad's favorite. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, Orsi Museum is an old uh, train station uh, turned into a museum and lots of Impressionist work, a lot of Art Nouveau um, uh, architecture, but also furniture and stuff. Uh, So I think I was very, yeah, I was really taken with the Impressionist. It sounds really cheesy like that, but uh, when you're a kid, uh, especially Degas, because I love dancing. So I was very much a little girl, you know. And I love dancing and looking. My favorite thing was the sculpture of the little dancer of the right. guy, you know, with her yeah. arms in her back. And there was something so touching about it, but also real and look creepy because mm-hmm. it was a black a cast, you know, was, uh, the skin is all black. Yeah. So there was something a little strange about it, but I really could uh, um, project myself in it. Right. Um, yeah. So that and. Love Degas, um, of course Monet, but also I really remember being turned on by the main gallery downstairs. You have all these marbles. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some Rodin, some Camille Claudel, but uh, you also have more classic uh, sculpture. And I was really turned on by that because I thought it was so erotic and sensual as mm-hmm. a little girl. And I was really fascinated with that. And then in the basement, you had this huge, I think it was a screaming face. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was a Medusa head, but I remember being very impressed by it, but also really scared and very, um, and it's, it's something that came back in my dreams later over and over, a feeling of awe, but also of terror with certain piece of art or architecture. Yeah. Yeah. It was overwhelming, I'm sure. Very overwhelming. And wait, what museum is it? Orsay. Oh, Musée d'Orsay. Yeah. Okay. Musée yeah, that's my favorite too. Yeah. It's Although nice. I haven't been to the Picasso, but I really want to go there. The last time I was there, it was closed. I know. But the Musée d'Orsay has uh, Déjeuner sur l'air, which is one of my favorite paintings. Yes. If yeah. not my favorite painting of all oh, time. Oh, is it? Hmm. Yeah. I love that painting. Interesting. I took a class on, on just on that painting, and mm. that's that's why I kind of really got into it. Mm. It's it's interesting. Do you think you liked it right away, or it because you learned so much about no, it? No, the class. Like it, like it. The yeah. class. Yeah. I, I mean, I've told this story before, where I, there's an art history class when I was an undergraduate that was always specific to like a very concentrated, like either a painting or you know one artist, mm-hmm. and the semester that I was looking for a cl- art history class, I, you know, they had the description of the semester that was active and that was Kandinsky and I loved Kandinsky. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to take a class on Kandinsky, you know, and I signed up for it. And when I went to class, it was a guy who was an expert on it. And it was like, this class is on uh, Edouard Manet. <laughs> and I was like, Manet, who can I like, no. It's not even Monet, it's Manet. <laughs> I was just like, this is BS. And um, and it turns out, he was like, you know, we're going to focus primarily on this painting. Mm-hmm. And, and I was so frustrated, but it was too, like, like I had to take the class. Mm-hmm. And then I just fell in love with the painting. I didn't realize, you know, he goes through all the 
the references from Rubens, you know, like all the little the ideas to it. And mm-hmm. but he talked about other Manet's works, and you know. But I just I really fell in love with the painting. So when you study so much about something, it's almost like when you listen to a band mm-hmm. over and over and over on a tape, and then you go see them live. Mm-hmm. It's like epic. Of course, yes. You know, yes. So mm-hmm. when I saw, by the time I saw that painting, I was like, there it is. Yeah, so you saw it after learning everything about yeah. it, and it had like that special. And also, I think it's, there's another painting, I have the same feelings toward it. I think when I saw it, I saw it over and over as a little girl, and I never got it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I came back recently, but the, the funeral in Oman is like this huge painting by Colbert. Mm-hmm. With people like around a, a pet, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. and it's a very dark painting, and it's not attractive for a child at all. It's like, what? What is this about? Right. It's boring. Um, and then learning more about it, it's completely fascinating. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite painting now. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing about like you were saying with Monet, like even Van Gogh, who I still to this day love. Mm-hmm. Um, it has immediate like wow fact and it lures you in mm-hmm. like you know like a Renoir you know mm-hmm. it's just like mm-hmm. soft and pretty mm-hmm. and it but then you know the darker stuff sometimes as you get older it's kind yeah. of like as you live you, you get intrigued by you know mm-hmm. both sides of the coin pretty much well, well when you live more then you yeah you experience things and but as a child you're often attracted to like um it's like food you know you're like bright tastes like yeah. sweet things right. or fatty things or you know the immediacy is really important and it's amazing like it's super important it's like a, a door of entry into something but yeah. then you know you, hopefully you refine that right mm-hmm. it's the interesting thing is the things when you're younger that have that dark side that you don't fully comprehend but mm-hmm. when you're older you read it or mm-hmm. you'll see a movie or something and be mm-hmm. like man that was that was some adult stuff in there. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And you ne- I can never remember if I fully got it. I mean, reading like Shel Silverstein, I knew that was some, mm. you know, weird, dark stuff in there, but it was so playful at the same time. What, what is this? Shel Silverstein, he's a mm. poet, but he would have these drawings um, as the sidewalks ends, or where the sidewalk ends is one of his most popular uh, books. See, I, there's, it's funny because... Living in America, there's a lot of uh, references mm-hmm. of things that everybody know, or like even music or TV shows, and it's all that stuff that I need often to ca- uh, to catch up on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Shel Silverstein was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what the French equivalent might be. Um, who was the cartoonist who did those really dark, like graphic novels or comic books? Um, um, I can't think of it. Well. We'll brainstorm after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, even movies, there's mm-hmm. like the movies my son watches these days. I mean, it's, well, it's a little more overt, like these dark overtones, yes. but mm-hmm. even fun movies like The Secret Life of Pets or something, there's always like all this adult stuff in yeah. there that's really, you know. It's part of the marketing. They know, they need, they know that they need to also entertain the parents. Right. So Yeah, they're sitting in there too. They're sitting in there. So if you can't attract the parents, you know, you're losing a large part of the audience. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, well, getting back to you growing up, um, when you were in school, mm-hmm. when did it sort of dawn on you? I mean, did you always think, oh, art is something I want to do? Or mm-hmm. were you more focused on other subjects and that was like a hobby or when did it become 
you know, like mm-hmm. a path for you. Like, oh, this is something that I might want to mm-hmm. follow. Yeah. Um, I think uh, whenever it was time to make art at school, I was so excited about it because it was really my little space of freedom. I always was very enthusiastic. And early on, I really liked drawing. And I loved especially... My, I had su- subscriptions that my parents, you know, like for kids stuff, reviews or books. So they were always uh, illustrators. And I was looking at these illustrations. I was really into illustration. So I thought, mm, I think I'd, I'd like to be an illustrator. Um, so when it was time to, when I turned 18, and I had been, you know, I went through this huge angst, teenage angst, you know, years, really it was really bad. My my teenage years were pretty bad. I was pretty depressed. So I I early on really used all these negative thoughts and feelings um, for my art. But um, I still thought I'm going to be an illustrator somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a prep school before trying the, the application for the big schools in France. And... Uh, and that's during that first year that I realized, no way, I'm being an illustrator. I'm just going to make art. I'm just going to... I, I can't. Um, I, I need to express something. I need to get something, get something out of my system. So then that's... But it's always been, yeah, pretty much a no-brainer. I wanted to be... I want to. I knew I wanted to be a creative. I knew I needed to make art. Yeah. Yeah. That um, Was the teen angst just normal teen angst? Or was it kind of like... It was did a little bad. Fuel, did that fuel the, you know, the drive for self-expression and, and creativity? Or do you think the creativity was just kind of like, you know, an outlet in a way? Yeah, it was an outlet. I just really needed it. Uh, it was, I mean, I think a lot of teenagers go through a very hard phase yeah. anyways, because you kind of find out who you are. But uh, yeah, for my, for me, it was. Um, I had to go see a therapist when I was fifteen because it just wasn't. I was having a hard time. I was always a good student, you know. I was yeah. always showing up at school, and I was um, really getting good grades, and I really took a lot of gratification from that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just my personal life, and I was also I had friends, and I had a boyfriend. So on every count, I don't think my parents were worried. Yeah. But I just, um, I was having a tremendous anxiety, especially when the night fell. Mm-hmm. I Something switched in me that was very depressed. So I, I was um, acquainted with depression when I turned like something like 13. Like it fell on me and I had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. And it really scared me. Um, and so after a few years, it's, that's when my mother suggested that I, go, just, I just go to therapy. And that was... That really changed my life. It was but I, good. Oh, it's very good. Did you did you feel at all? I don't know, because you know, nowadays I feel like people talk about therapy so openly, mm-hmm. but it used to be more of like a stigma of like, oh, you have to go see a therapist, or you yeah. would feel to yourself like, do I need help? You know what I mean? No, because um, that's another thing where my mother was really important in my life because she. It, there was never any taboo. She was very, you know, she was like a hippie in 1970s. Yeah. So she always talked about the necessity of therapy for people. Right. Um, so I never saw it that way. And That's good. I never, yeah, I never yeah. felt bad about it. And on the contrary, it's something I was really proud of. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Being able to like talk about 
things that you're thinking about, yeah. feeling better about, you know what I mean? Or navigating yeah. questions and exactly. you know, the world is complicated and, you know, especially at that age, mm-hmm. I think, because a lot of people, you know, maybe suppress those feelings mm-hmm. until they get much older and mm-hmm. then it's like this giant weight yes. on their shoulder that mm-hmm. they have to carry around or try to dislodge, which yeah. is harder. Yeah, it's like imagine. your hairball. It yeah. gets really hard to, you know, get out yeah. of yourself. Uh, yeah, and uh, and also it was the exploration into like something. Um, it was both like feeling better and doing it for my own sake and my own health, but also I was really into dreams. And I think when I went to the School of Fine Art, Beaux Arts in Paris, I started also this class of. Uh, called Psychoanalysis of Art Mm -hmm. and uh, it was uh, based on Jungian I was going to say Jungian of course and like reading Carl Gustav Jung you know biography all that stuff was just really mind blowing Um, and my dreams became more vivid and all that material was you know super fertile for your art there was so much going on in my head it's exciting. So it was uh, both difficult, painful, but also thrilling uh, to discover all these dimensions. Yeah. Mm. Well, a lot of people do at that time kind of like find art as a great release mm-hmm. for, you know, anything, you know, any kind of like mm-hmm. angst or teenage, you know, like that kind of need to, to do something. But the other maybe bigger thing is music. Was that something mm-hmm. that you were also into? Um, yeah, I really love music, and I, I have. Um, I mean, I think yeah, music is. Um, it's while well, visual arts, um, it's a very different relationship, right? You have with visual arts and with music. Um, music was also this, you know, like for most people, it's straight. It's it's like a long. It's like a. I don't know what it is. It speaks straight to your heart, right? To your soul. Like well, it's physical. It goes uh, yeah. into your ears and, you know, it's not like art is amazing because, you know, they're images. They don't have words necessarily. Like you can just see it and mm-hmm. think of, get a feeling from it. But with music, it's there's not that kind of like filter of a relationship to an image. It just kind of goes in you mm-hmm. and you feel it. It makes you vibrate, yeah. literally. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's it's much more visceral, visceral I think. Yes, know? And visual so art you, is a bit intellectual, but uh, music is a... Uh, so music has always been important, but um, I'm not... I'm kind of a... I, I tend to listen to the same thing over and over and uh, have attachments with music. And I'm kind of a lazy music uh, searcher, like adventurer. Uh, my husband is really the guy who like gets all that incredible music really open yeah. and is very obsessed with it sometimes and he's the one introducing me to people so he has like these tricks where he's like starting to play a song and then he plays it again the day after mm-hmm. until I go oh what that I love that track yeah, yeah. you know he wants to plant little seeds me it's like I'm a bit like um, close minded sometimes I'm like oh do it I don't like that I don't want to try to get into it or like but um, yeah I, I, music is obviously was it on in the house when you were a kid all the time? Like, did your parents listen to a lot of music? And what kind? They listened to music, but the problem is, like, they were a bit random. Yeah. They weren't really, like, um, they didn't pay attention to the trends and stuff. So I was always a bit, my, 
I had like lacks in my musical and upbringing mm-hmm. um, for everything pop culture or important, you know, alternative music. But I had um, classical upbringing, so I went to conservatory. Yeah, I, I learned how to read music. I played piano. Uh, I've more of a classic um, training for music. Well, so but when you were in high school, was that what you were listening to, or were you getting more into like pop stuff? I was getting more into pop stuff, yeah. and my boyfriend was kind of cool too with music, so he introduced me to all these bands that I didn't even know. Like you know, I didn't even know. Lou Reed or Bowie or yeah. any of that stuff. I was really like uh, behind. Yeah. Right. So well, <laughs> classical is great too, though. You know. Yeah. Getting like a, a well-rounded. Yeah. I feel like that's the kind of stuff you study, and then the other stuff is kind of things that like people just say, "Hey, you should check this out." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you went to art school. Mm-hmm. You said, "I'm going to go to art school." And how was that experience? Uh, art school in Paris in Paris yeah before Chicago right before Chicago which was only like a small phase in my life mm-hmm. um, yes I went to Bazaar in Paris um, you know you had to apply for it so it was a whole process and then it's a public school so it's awesome yeah. uh, huge budget um, great amazing like historical um, context um, and um, so, yeah, I entered in a, you know, it's like a system of atelier. So you try to find a teacher that's going to take you under his wing mm-hmm. or her, her wing. And uh, you're going to learn under that person for like five years. You can switch studios maybe. But so there are painting studios, multimedia studios, sculpture studios. Um, so I went with this painter called um, uh, Pat Andrea, mm-hmm. who's still a friend I still see him yeah. so there's something really different about the education in Paris from the education in America right. I mean in France um, it's in a way it was um, I felt a little frustrated with the system because um, I I didn't feel like I belonged in one box or the other I painted when I applied so I went to a painting studio but I always want to experiment beyond painting right uh, and also, but the, the teaching, what's good about uh, that school's teaching is that um, you really dive into a practice. Um, so, in, when I, so when I went to Chicago for a semester, I was really surprised about the, the difference in the curriculum. Everybody seemed, I was, it seemed like I was way more advanced with my personal practice yeah. compared to the other students, but everybody was trying a lot of different things. So and I felt it was too much homework in America, but you definitely like touch different things. But it was too it was it was so packed in that you didn't have time to really reflect on your own. What is it that you want to get from the school? Or right. you know, so it's a very different approach in Paris. Plenty of time, less classes, uh, but same time, you have to really d- dive into. Uh, your own practice and it's very difficult obviously you suck at it for a long time and also the studio mentality means that you have a big room where everybody's making art and then the teacher comes and in France it's not like you know people are way less politically correct and also they didn't care because uh, it's not like we're paying such an expensive tuition that they had to please their customers they were like they were like just artists, renowned French artists, we were asked to teach 
so if you, they thought your work sucked, they just didn't go. Like they were like really straightforward. It's yeah. Like this is horrible. Like so many people like left studios crying yeah. after credits. You know, so completely different from um, Chicago when I went there. Yeah, I think maybe it was a little more like that early, like a while ago here. Mm-hmm. But like it's slowly gotten more and more mm-hmm. kind of like sensitive to people. You know, mm-hmm. probably just like parenting. You know, like mm-hmm. when I was growing up, your parents could yell at you and like kind of like give you a, little give you a smack if a you smack. talk back or whatever. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you would be arrested and like taken to jail <laughs> if know. you did that. It's like a whole different vibe. Yeah, we still belong to that in between generation. Yeah, I feel. right. So we sometimes we would be like, "Come on, guys!" Oh, yeah. yeah, a little slap wouldn't hurt. <laughs> right, right. Like I knew once in a while, like if I crossed a certain line, like mm-hmm. I'm really heavy-minded mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. be running mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was good in a way because yeah I it taught me to not do certain things you know and I think it's um it's good to have boundaries sometimes it's yeah. um it helps you feel structured but I don't know if it's the same with art uh, it was it was difficult uh, to be told you know it was just kind of harsh in yeah Paris. I don't know if that's necessarily good like I feel like as a teacher you you want to leave the studio of someone and they want to make work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't want them to like want to retire from art <laughs> <laughs> maybe like, you should but yeah <laughs> right but f- maybe to get them to try to press harder and yeah. you know put more work in or you know think different like mm-hmm. try to open up new avenues or whatever it is try to encourage them to yeah. push themselves harder it wasn't but, the case everywhere, though. I'm like kind of exaggerating that, but just I felt like yeah, there's a different dynamic. And but for the most part, they were encouraging. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what were you doing in Paris? Was it more academic work at that point? Uh, no. Was, so the teaching is not that academic. It looks like it might be academic, but uh, yes, there were all these teaching like morpho. I did morphology, which is weird. So it's like uh, you. You know, from live model, yeah. you kind of learn the muscles and how to draw mm-hmm. them. So I don't know if you do that in America, but... Yeah, I think a, a lot of programs still have yeah, know, the very, figure drawing and kind of portraiture and yeah. learning you yeah. know, the, the figure. Basically. Exactly, the figure and very classic. So I did all that classic teaching, but, um, but for, you know, you also have theory of art and you have a video. Like, you can do whatever. Basically, you construct your own curriculum. That's cool. Yeah. And um, then it's good if people are hard on you because if it's that free, mm-hmm. and then you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, like this is my new piece. It's <laughs> you know what I mean. Like yeah. you want people to make sure that you're, yeah, really rigorous about like what you're thinking and doing. Yeah, and I think it really depended on the, your teacher. But I remember you couldn't go academic like crazy. There were these guys that were in my uh, year, and they had like they had a phase where they like were really obsessed with classic art and they were trying to emulate all yeah. the masters. Mm-hmm. So they were doing this self very well-painting self-portrait and they just, they, the, the school didn't give them great, they didn't let them pass. Oh, really? Yeah. No, like, like, this is way too accomplished. Yeah, you're here <laughs> to like do something new. Right, right. You're not here to emulate the old masters. Right. It's like a, it was kind of shocking. Like, like going to school and doing like cover songs of like old, yeah, or like or, 
yeah, or may create like operas like Mozart, right? Or, like want to, you know, recreate something really um, a language that's already you know passed, like a Dixieland jazz band, but like authentically recreate it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like yeah, it would be exactly. nowadays would be so kind of yeah, like retro, you know, like specifically trying to yeah. make something that was way of the past, you know. Yeah, and which is strange too because I feel like all the um, the students in Bozar that were doing the stuff that our teacher were like denigrating or mm-hmm. thinking it was too easy or too. These are the artists that actually fared better when they were out in the world once they uh, graduated. Right. Yeah. Like the guy who I was talking about, who did the self-portrait, he's doing fine now. He's like, you know, he's been represented by galleries for years. He's like, you know, that was, that's interesting. I don't know. I think maybe it's, it's that, it's it's really strange who's making it or who's not making it after school. But yeah, Yeah. it's it's just what I mean. It wasn't an indicator, which is interesting. Well, so how was Chicago? Like, how was that transition? And what was your work? What happened to your work in Chicago? Um, oh, Chicago is super important. Um, I'd, so, I yeah, I went in and I did the exchange program there. At first, I wanted to go to New York, but the school was already, you know, the, too many people wanted to go to New York. So mm. I picked Chicago as a second choice. I went to the Art Institute. Um, I think it was just... As I said, I didn't have. I had a very kind of classical upbringing, so my exposure to like um, uh, underground culture it was limited. But going to America, I feel like the culture is so um, I don't know, so pop, so underground. Like it's it's such a live culture compared to France, which yeah. is an old culture. That the, that was invigorating right away. And uh, just the the way of thinking is so different, and just my lifestyle changed when I got there, and I made new friends, and I met my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I it was uh, it changed me completely, changed me. And what was what's weird is that I knew there was the reason why I decided to do the exchange program is because I knew of that uh, whole art scene there that was really different from you know stood out. Uh, the Chicago Images yeah. and, and all these artists, um, Roger Brown, Ray Roger Yoshida, Brown, all, all, those all these people. people. That I'm sure that that I can see little traces in your work. I right? know, but the p- funny part is, like, once I got there, I completely forgot about that scene, which, by the way, wasn't wasn't very. Um, it's not like um, people were. I think Chicago. It took them a long time to really uh, value yeah. their assets. So when I was there, um, yes, I, I forgot about it, and it's not like it was really brought to my attention. There weren't any shows of you know these old um, of these painters, and 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 so that I forgot. And suddenly later on, it's only been recently that this whole scene is very much recognized now yeah. and shown, and younger generation are referencing to them. And and I realized I was doing when I came to America uh, ten years ago to New York ten years ago mm-hmm. I was really painting graphically using a black stroke and I had totally forgotten about the Chicago scene. It's just my friend who 
pointed out, did you look at Christina Ramberg and right. to these people? And I was like, and I had a shock when I looked at it because I was like, oh no, <laughs> someone's already done it way better. And, uh, but it wasn't, you know, then you, you get depressed and then you beat yourself up and then you just keep going. Keep working yeah, and it becomes working. your own thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. I remember that happened to me because I was doing abstract stuff mm-hmm. in grad school that was based on like these fractals that I would paint spaces into. And then someone came into my studio and was like, have you seen Matthew Ritchie's work? And uh, Matthew Ritchie's work? And, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, yeah. You know, and I didn't. And so I went and like yeah. looked at his work and I was like, oh, man, this is kind of. I know. Oh, okay. I, I'm like doing like a fourth tier version of his work oh, in a way. Wow. So, but. And you, you become self-conscious, but as you work and work and work, it just becomes your voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I tell students that a lot, that, you know, you're going to wear your influences and you sleep, even unconsciously maybe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the more you just do your thing, the more it becomes your own. Yes. You if have you're really to be, indebted to it. And you have to be kind of uh, flexible about it. I mean, there's so many artists, so so much art produced and we are influenced by each other sometimes unconsciously so and when you see the world of music i think they even less shamelessly like they really rip each other off yeah but in art there is this taboo like everybody needs to be unique you know it's like completely original <laughs> it's completely impossible and then you look at the cubist and you look at picasso in one case and they were purposely trying to recreate um a relig- an art religion or something yeah so like you know like people didn't used to be unique it's just a recent construct for art uh, right. on the contrary it used to be very um uh, very her- hermetic or like more like a rigid you know beauty right. um beauty rules that you had to follow and very limited uh subject of you know, of art like uh, I don't know, Jesus and yeah. Mary. So now it's just new, all that. So yeah, you have to put everything in context. What is originality or whatever? It's funny because that that kind of flip happens in music. Where now, like sampling or taking other riffs and stuff is so common. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're just doing doing your spin on something that's mm-hmm. existed before but or like how you're placing your influences together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to collage them together in a way to create a new song becomes interesting mm-hmm. so it's yeah maybe there's that kind of like desire for endless originality you know it's that's gonna be difficult yeah it's gonna be difficult i think it's still important it's important to know what you're doing and know your what you're dialoguing with and um but yeah it's gonna be but just not let that be a discouragement so you had a good time a good experience in chicago but then how long were you there before you moved to new york uh so i was there in 2005 and six and then i moved then i graduated in paris Mm -hmm. Went back to Paris, graduated, stayed in longer distance relationship with my boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, and that's long distance. Yeah, long distance. And then we decided to. It's very random. Once I graduated, uh, we decided to go to Japan mm-hmm. for a year because he always wanted to go there, and it was easier for me to meet him there for papers and right. him there because he always wanted to go there. So we lived in Tokyo for a year. Oh, that's cool. What what part? 
um, you know Tokyo well? Oh yeah, your wife is Japanese. Yeah. Kichi Joji? I don't know what that is. No way. Kichi Joji? Kiki Joji? Kichi Joji? Kichi Joji? Um, Inokashi Park? Uh, have you been to the gambling museum? No, no. Uh, well, so it's Easter, east of um, Shinjuku. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, actually, you, lo- you will love it. It's like, it's off the Yamanote-san? It's off the Chuo line. Okay. It's um, probably just an area. I mean, there's a lot of areas that yes, yeah. you just, you have to go to to go to. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. And and uh, but you will love it because it's very cute. It's it's really nice. Actually. I'm gonna write it down. Yes, I'm going soon. Oh, you going soon? Yeah, I'm in a, a couple group shows that are coming up, so oh, I'm cool. gonna go over. When's that? When End of me? April. Okay. Through June, I think. Okay. No, sorry, not to plug my. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no. You, it's like I'm really interested because so many friends are going to Japan for shows, and I'm really bummed because. I'm going to be there with my husband in October and November. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so it looks like everybody is going to be there before I get there. Oh, the timing. Yeah. October, November. It's funny because there's very specific times where people want to go mm-hmm. due to weather and mm-hmm. Obon and like all those, you know, like the holidays and stuff because mm-hmm. it can get really pricey if you go during peak times. Yeah. So that might be a nice time to go. I like when it's cooler out. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it can get really hot in. No, Japan. I taught there for six weeks in August, in July and August. Ah, it's humid and hot. Mushiatsui, like super humid. Yes, but I don't mind. No, it's so. I mean, Tokyo, Japan is so another world. It's great. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's and everything's clean. Yeah, trains run on time. Oh yeah, it's good. But leaving there for a year was really. Difficult. I'm sure. I, I mean, didn't do you, like it. Do you speak any Japanese? No. Do you read any? It was. Really, I don't know what we were thinking. Uh, <laughs> did, I didn't even know my husband, my boyfriend, Boy. that well back then. And then we're like, and I realized that when I moved in, I was like, what have I done? Where am I? Why? <laughs> Who? What? <laughs> Why? It's like we like suddenly got this tiny apartment in Kichijoji. So I'm in this apartment with Tatami Matt, and I'm like with this stranger. And and now I'm gonna have to work, and I'm like, okay. So I had to teach. So I taught French and English for a year. Oh, that's good. But it was it was okay. Well, children least, and adults. But at least you had a gig. You yeah. had a job, which no, is I had a job, which was good. It was just the first time I really had to like, you know, it was entrance in your adult life after graduating, and so I was really worried about money. And um, so, yeah, it worked, but I was in a country where I didn't know anybody. I didn't talk the language. And I was with this guy I, didn't, I realized I didn't know very well. Oh Still, gosh. we argued so much. And What's well, a good test? Oh, yeah. It was, we all, make we it broke through. up at the end. Right. We, we but I mean, if you could make it through that, it yeah. would have been good. What age did you teach? I mean, I'm still with him, but I mean, we almost didn't make it happen. Yeah. Uh, what, did you, what age kids did you teach? Oh, that was... I think that was the part that really stressed me out. They were, like, it started six, five, six years oh, old to 12. But I had, like, 20, more than 25, six years old in the class who didn't speak a word of English. Oh, my gosh. You and had to come in and be like, hello, how are you? Como se va? Exactly. <laughs> I had to be, like, this kind of, like, I don't know. Um, That's stressful. It's not me. I'm yeah. not... An, 
extrovert, I have absolutely zero um, authority, mm-hmm. zero. It's not in my blood. So the kids were running everywhere. I had nothing in control. This chaos. I was sweating. I had diarrhea before getting it, and it was just I was just so stressed out because it was. And I didn't. I had to like teach them nursery rhymes and stuff. I didn't know any because it's not my native language, <laughs> English. So I kept being confused with the itsy bitsy spider and like stumbling on the word. It was just a catastrophe. But I did that for a year. Weren't you doing the French ones too, though? No, because they don't, you know, they don't. Oh, it was English, English. Yeah, English was more like the language people wanted right, to right. learn. So there weren't any, if it was French, if it had been French, I think it would have been easier for me. But, um, yeah, it would, have been, it would have been way easier. But English, uh, I had to teach mostly English. And my English wasn't even that good. But Japanese English is so horrible that, you know, I, I liked teaching adults mo- mo- most. Yeah. But it turned out to be like um, almost therapy sessions. <laughs> so a year there, yes. you got out. Yes. You went, so did you go to New York from there or Chicago? Or no, Paris? I went back to Paris. Uh, almost played up with my boyfriend. Went back to Paris. Um, had some family problems. My mother was sick. Uh, we learned she had cancer. Mm, Stayed sorry. three years with her um, in Paris, trying to make it in Paris like just work be here for my mother and make art mm-hmm. uh, so not That's the tough. best three years of my life yeah. um, and keep the long distance relationship but we ended up being very good like uh, my boyfriend's like I'm not gonna we're not gonna leave now we're not gonna separate you're just going through a rough time I'm gonna stick around which was really generous of him and then it ended up making us as a couple work yeah that's great yeah so uh, when did you end yeah. up in Here. New York doing <laughs> the work that you're doing now? I know, it was very convoluted. So three years in Paris, and then I finally was with my husband, we were like, okay, let's get married, let's make this happen. Moved to New York. Um, I moved to New York before I did. I started to prepare, kind of set up an environment for us, and then I finally joined him there. And um, didn't know anybody. Made my art... Uh, by myself and just kept developing my language I finally after a couple years I you know I started to work for Jeff Koons I stayed there for a year and then was that as wild as people make it (laughs) it's weird yeah Yeah, it's it's a big machine it's a big machine but I worked in the in a nice the nicest department I felt back then it was the sculpture painting Mm -hmm. Uh, which was a smaller unit, and it was just I love a good that team. Departments, yeah. It's, we were we call ourselves little elves. You know, it's like yeah, Santa's yeah. factory, and we are little elves. Um, so yeah, I worked there for. I knew after a year I had to get out of there because they were only full time positions. Yeah, uh, it wasn't even that well paid. Uh, so it was just tricky to make art only during weekends. Uh, but it was great for my my experience. I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, learned some art world stuff. Oh, just some art, crazy art world stuff. Yeah, it's great to f- get informed about that stuff, right? Exactly. <laughs> and had like the craziest uh, work party ever, too. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think he stopped doing that. But we, you know, <laughs> he had his yearly year party. Um, in his farm in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He lives in Pennsylvania, Have you heard too. of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I teach in Pennsylvania, so you oh, hear that yeah, yeah. 
I mean, he's from York originally, I think. York, Pennsylvania. I don't know yeah. where he's from. I'm from Pennsylvania, so okay. we get into that stuff. So have you heard of, like, every year he was, like, organizing this rodeo for his party, for his... I did not know that. ...work party, and so he rents this... And it becomes an official, like, rodeo competition, so you have all these cowboys who are here, and there's, like... Legit uh, ones, right? Legit yeah. cowboys. And um, in the maize fields, mm-hmm. you clear that up, and there's like um, how do you call like um, like sits like oh bleachers, bleachers yeah. and stuff. And all the locals are coming too because they knew they know about that tradition. The art rodeo. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> That's crazy. And then how did I never hear of this? And then there was radio in front of us, and there was an ice cream truck park next nearby, so we could eat ice cream and watch radio cowboys. That's cool. And there was even like a coons flavor. And we Why could not? eat as many ice cream as we wanted. <laughs> Why not? Well, very memorable. I imagine ice cream's a lot cheaper in, in the farms of Pennsylvania than out in That's New York true. City. We were like, oh my god! It's not like <laughs> renting the big gay ice cream truck here. <laughs> Which my son's uh, elementary school would have at their carnival. The big gay ice cream truck would pull in, and oh, like yeah. they would get all the ice cream. Oh there. my god! It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. So you, but you only spent a year there. You, yeah, it's you just a out. year, and then I got. Is out your of work there. at this point kind of like looking like what we're seeing now? No, I mean, no. I went, I went through the, so many phases. Yeah, yeah. I my work we really evolved a lot and changes a lot. And um, back then, it it was looking very graphic and it, it was very flat. It was a, a thick black line. I was telling you. Um, it was a bit sci-fi looking, mm-hmm. was um, but very. They were like they were complex landscapes that looked like internal landscapes with organic and muted colors. Um, but it was funny because um, somehow it was something also that was reminiscent of cause, but yeah. different. And um, when I left Kunz, then like then I had like a midlife crisis, early midlife crisis where I was like. I'm turning 30, I'm back to working in retail, and it's catastrophe, what am I going to do with my life, I'm never going to make it, like that for six months, and then funny, I saw cause, like, you know, needing new uh, assistants, so I applied for that, with that body of work, and he hired me, and that was then, cause working for him was really a good thing for me. Oh, did you work with him the same time Jonathan did? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know Jonathan? Small world. Yes, it's a small world. We did a podcast. Did you do one with Morgan Blair? We did a podcast. Worked with her. Uh, did you do... You didn't do it with Josh Perling. Not yet, but Josh, um, you're coming up. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> Josh. Bring your ass I'll send, I'll Brooklyn. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's so... Oh my God, I love Josh. Um, anyways, lots of good people in this, in cause studios. Um yeah, so it was. It's a good boss. Um, he's very fair, mm-hmm. and he accepted that I work on you part time, four days a week. Yeah, um, it's just a very good environment to grow as an artist. That's great. Yeah, and then so why don't and people are going to kill me if we don't talk some about? <laughs> and I want to know a little bit about like what you're doing now. You have a show uh-huh. coming up. Yeah, so I have a show coming up in um, in April twenty fifth. It's uh, coming up, coming up. Oh, uh, yeah, it's coming up uh, with Anton Karen Gallery yeah. on the on their third floor. You know, now mm-hmm. they have this big building. Yeah. Um, Are you done with the work for that? 
I think it's pretty much pretty it. much there. Yeah, because yeah. what am I going to do that's going to ch- you know change the show like in the next three weeks? I'm not yeah. sure. I'm trying to make a sculpture that's not working out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's like a few things that are just like really bothering me and not working out, but. I think most of the show is there. The it's works exciting. on paper. Yeah, it's exciting, but you know, it's also you always no matter what, I think you always doubt. Yeah. You get excited but you're also very nervous that you didn't make your best work. So that's that's, that's me. Like I mean a lot of people anyways. I think that's everyone pretty well, most people. Yeah, most people. <laughs> let's say. And but then uh so there were a lot of uh, pieces of the puzzle that came together mm-hmm. um, also working finally that's going to print uh, today or tomorrow uh, working on a book project I'm really excited about it's an that's art great. book with yeah with a small uh, public publication house called Spheres mm-hmm. and actually the guy Philippe Carrère who worked with me on that is worked with Austin Lee on the book before too so that's you know that's the same place nice. yeah yeah um, when's that release? Same thing for the opening dates. Oh, great. Yeah, so a lot of things are that I've been working on since September are finally coming together. Yeah, that's a good feeling. Oh my god, it feels really great. I feel lighter. But the, yeah, the book was... I didn't think it was going to be that much work. Mm-hmm. But we invited um, writers to, to do a text image project. Mm-hmm. Be- because my work is so... Works so much with narratives. And... Um, so I'm really excited about the book too. That's great. Yeah, can't wait to see it. Yeah. So, <laughs> what do you do? I mean, you, do you take a break after a show like this, or? Um, yeah. Or do you have more stuff that you gotta? I deadlines. Really, I really want to slow things down in a way where I want to uh, live life again, so I can actually oh, have yeah. stuff to say. Live life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's. Not, I mean, you've lived a lot of life. I oh mean, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you've done yeah. and seen a lot of stuff so yeah I've been but yeah it's important non-stop it's important to like kind of mm-hmm. take a break and yeah do you like traveling too right oh, i love traveling yeah so i really need it um yeah i just feel like uh i need to actually experience things because i just want to yeah get uh, some new energy into the work um so hopefully I can take uh, I can kind of slow things down and read some interesting stuff yeah. after the show. I I have a few things to work on. I'm also a bit work addict, so I'm I know I'm going to have a hard time really going studio, but I am I'm, I'm you know Japan the 2 months residency is going to be amazing. Yeah. Uh and I told them I wasn't going to make work for showing, so I know I have 2 months to experiment with um I'll paint on paper, but just to make also maybe sculptures. Yeah, know. that'll be great. Yeah, it'd be nice. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. So your show opens on April 25th. 25th. Mm-hmm. And that'll be up for a month, I'm guessing? Yes, and I think Antonka. a little longer than that. They're going to make it, I think, probably a month and a half or two nice. months. Yeah. So people should go see that. Yes. And then you you do social media? I, I do a little bit of social media. <laughs> And it's your full name, right? Julie Tuyet Curtis. Yeah, Tuyet is my Vietnamese Tuyet. name. Yeah, my second first name. I gave it the French attempt of French pronunciation of a Vietnamese word. Tuyet. Tuyet. No, Tuyet. Tuyet, yeah. I don't even say it right. 
I think it's really hard to say. I we had my son had a sitter who's Vietnamese and oh yeah I couldn't I mean Japanese seems so easy compared to Vietnamese oh, yeah. when I hear it I'm baffled yeah <laughs> it seems so complicated it's the accent yeah it's there are six accents six ways of saying the same word with six different meanings See, I don't need that I need one or two yeah. <laughs> one or two is okay I know that seems so complicated Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's your full name. Mm-hmm, which, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, uh, is there any other way that people should check out? I mean, that seems like these days, people most, will, you have a website. If you want to find me, you'll find yeah, me. Yeah, you'll find me. <laughs> I'm well, good luck with the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to see it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When is your, do you have something coming up? Yeah, know. other than the group things, I have the fall, like September, mm-hmm. September show at Miles McHenry. Oh, New York. That's what this stuff is for, yeah. Oh, awesome. It's a New York show. It's going to be all about New York. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, it's awesome. It was great meeting you. Great meeting you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, produced, edited, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more images from the podcast that I do on Instagram at Sound and Vision Podcast. You can see more images of my work at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors for their support of the podcast and all the listeners. <laughs>